After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Father in heaven, thank you for the way that these men, these disciples, loved your Son, our Lord. And thank you that they were ordinary men, just like many of us. Lord, enlighten our hearts by the power of your Spirit. And grant us to understand what it means to be sent for your sake. Witnesses empowered by the Spirit of God. Through Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Good evening. It's cold outside, but it's warm in here, or some such saying. So glad to see you, and if this is your first time with us tonight, you're you're arriving on the fifth night, the fifth week of a five-week series about who we're becoming. We're becoming St. Bart's. We're in this process of changing from All Saints East Dallas, a church plant from All Saints Dallas, into becoming our own church, changing our name, and trying to figure out what a cohesive vision might be that flows from that name. Before I forget, I want you to know, this Wednesday, yes, I know it's Valentine's Day. Don't worry. The chocolates are in order. The flowers are ready to go. But this Wednesday is really also Ash Wednesday. We have two services this Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday, you know, marks the beginning of the season of Lent. And typically on this Sunday before Lent starts, I would be trying to cue you up and set you up for a good Lent. But I'm not tonight because I'm talking about St. Bart and how he was a missionary, yada, yada, yada. So don't forget Noon this Wednesday and 6.30 p.m. right here. Come to one of those services and we together will begin a Holy Lent, a season of fasting and penitence and preparation for the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord. All right, that's my commercial, free of charge. Okay, now, if you're here for the first time, welcome. You're here on the fifth week of a five-week series. And we've talked about St. Bartholomew. And we've said that, you know what, there's something about the man, because remember, he's not just like a DC or a Marvel character, you know, instead of in a comic book on a screen of icons up at the front of the church. He's an actual man. He's a human. He's alive in the presence of our Lord right now. And there's something about the uniqueness of his name. The uniqueness of about his ministry, what little we know about in his relationship with Jesus, that bears the weight of who we are and who God is making us into as a church. Moreover, there's something about him that can be the beginnings, the headwaters of a cohesive vision 
that gives shape to our own mission, character to our identity, breadth to our life as a community, a church of God, and depth to each of us individual members of it. So we've been talking about St. Bartholomew. We've talked about how his name, Bartholomew, boy, that's so long, but it's so elegant to say Bartholomew. That name is a patronymic, meaning he was named for his father. So Bartholomew means son of a farmer, Bartolomei. We talked about how ministry and mission often is a lot like farming. That sometimes you just got to plow the ground. Sometimes you get to sow the seed, but oftentimes the seed doesn't grow. And you don't get to see the fruit of it. We talked about how under the guise of another name, Nathaniel, so Bartholomew was also Nathaniel, when we read about him in John chapter 1 and John chapter 21, when we see that interaction with Bartholomew and Jesus in John chapter 1, we see this, this person who understands what it's like to live in the freedom of the children of God. We see in him the picture of somebody who is learning to be fully human, even then in the presence of our Lord Jesus. At the middle of our series, the third week, one of my old pastors from Florida, John Schuler, came and he talked to us about the collect for St. Bart's Day. It's the same collect or prayer that Chris just prayed. And, and the kernel of that, the crux of that, is that we, the people of God, who are sent out by God on mission for him, that we would love what Bartholomew believed and that we would preach what he taught. Last week, we talked about how all the disciples were men of where? The angels said to them in Acts chapter 1, men of Galilee. And Galilee is that region in Israel that's not in the center of power. It's not the place with the big, beautiful buildings. It's not the place where there's lots of money and influence and connections and gatekeepers. No, Galilee was kind of a hinterland. It was a place largely overlooked and forgotten, full of a people who were also largely overlooked and forgotten. But Jesus called his disciples from that place. Because why? Because God wants them. And God wants us. And he wants us to be with him. And lastly, tonight, we see that Bartholomew, follower of Jesus, a friend of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, After 40 some odd days of Jesus showing up in random places like, oh, who's that guy on the shore of the lake? Oh, that's Jesus. Why don't you guys try the right side of the the boat? So they go through 40 some odd days of Jesus appearing to them at random, walking into locked rooms. They don't quite see who he is they don't quite recognize but at the same time Jesus is unfolding for them everything that was written about him in the Old Testament the law the prophets and the Psalms so they had 40 days and then Jesus ascends into heaven we just read about that in Acts 1 but before he ascends what does he say I'm gonna miss you guys well he says that in another place but he says but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I hope you have a nice life. No. And you will be my witnesses to Jer- in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now guys like Bartholomew must have thought Jesus was serious because about 10 days later, when all the disciples are huddled together bravely in Jerusalem so that they don't draw attention to themselves, they don't want to be a stumbling block, or maybe they're scared to death. That's what I would I'd probably be. I'm very cautious. I'd be scared to death. But we're in there, when they're in that upper room, the Spirit of God is poured out like tongues of fire on them. It's nine o'clock in the morning and people are saying, are these guys drunk? It just so happens that God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, Luke writes, are in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of the first fruits. They're bringing in the first fruits. They're honoring God. They're remembering the giving of the law. And God on, on high gives them a new law written on their hearts by the Spirit of God, fulfilling that new covenant that Jeremiah wrote about Lo, those many years ago. And so we find Bartholomew, after all those events, we realize that, yeah, he took Jesus seriously. The one who was the king of Israel. The one who was his Lord and his God. And after the resurrection, the ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Bartholomew was sent out east. He went east. He took the gospel according to St. Matthew, written in Hebrew. If, you, if you've ever seen an icon of Bartholomew, some have him with his flayed skin, but ignore those for now. Most icons of Bartholomew have him holding a scroll like this. And it's, we assume it to be the gospel of Matthew. So he took with him the word of God and he went east. And for the sake of what we've been talking about for the last five weeks, we can only assume that he plied his hands like a farmer to the work of sowing the seed. Inviting people, a people who would, did not know the Lord, who had never heard of Jesus, much less Judaism. Inviting them into a life of the freedom of the children of God, inviting them into what it means to be fully human. Praying and hoping, laboring with them diligently that they might believe and love what he believed. That one day after his years of labor, they might preach what he taught. He came to bring the message of good news, which is for everyone St. Peter would say, for those who are far off and for those who are near. But for those people to whom he went, he took the message of you're no longer overlooked and forgotten. Even if you thought you were, you're not. Because God wants you. And I'm here to tell you that there is a man, Jesus Christ, that came to live and die for you and now reigns on high at the right hand of the Father. And he's pouring out the Holy Spirit on you so that not only he can express his love and desire for you, but that so that you can be with him. We can only imagine that Bartholomew must have preached that kind of gospel, the same one that you and I have heard, the same one that we perceive that God is giving to us 
to proclaim, to embody, to live. Hmm. To let it be the bond of love between each one of us. To let it be the song that we sing. To let it be the fragrance that marks the presence of God in our midst on Sunday nights, at pastorates, when we're at the restaurant, when we're whatever we're doing here in East Dallas. Maybe it was a little bit like that. And so Bartholomew was sent out and he went east. We know that he went to some place near modern day India. Later, he would move on from there a little bit further north and west to modern-day Armenia where he was martyred. But I want to talk to you tonight about what it means to be sent out. What does it mean to be on mission? Well, what is mission? And I look around and I'm daunted when I even attempt to answer the question because I see people who were in the Middle East for a decade or in the Indian Indian subcontinent for 25 years are people who are missionaries right now that are driving a bus or reaching out to international friends or translating for them. People who are doing things that are sent out. So what I want to try to do is keep, keep my talking about mission at this level, the sort of, which is, I'm, I'm so bad about this. I always want to keep it in the abstract and the esoteric, but I'm going to keep it high up here because I don't, want to, I don't want to muddy the waters of what God is doing on the ground. But what does it mean to be sent out? What does it mean to be on mission? Well, the Latin word for mission is missio, and it simply means to be sent out. And if you'll recall, we always pray a prayer for mission at the end of every service. And it's a prayer that acknowledges that we've heard from God's word, we've sat at his feet, we've eaten from his table, we've been fed with the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the firstborn from the dead. And it says, now send us out with your blessing to live and to witness for you and the power of your spirit. Every single Sunday, we subject ourselves to that same commission that Jesus gave to his friends, those ordinary men of Galilee. We take that prayer on our lips because we want to be sent out afresh and anew. We want to live on mission for him. So, being on mission means simply to be sent out. The basis of this really is God There's a phrase called missio dei, which is Latin for the mission of, don't worry, I don't really know Latin. I just have like little Latin catch-alls that I can throw out there. So you're getting them all tonight, just FYI, which is not a Latin word, FYI. That's, That's like an acronym for your information. The very basis of our mission is God's nature of mission, the missio dei. God is constantly sending himself. In creation, he speaks his word. His word speaks creation into being. The spirit is there brooding over the waters. And when Adam and Eve messed everything up, God, what does he do? He doesn't distance himself from him. Oh, it's going to be awkward now. Because they know they're naked. No. God sends himself. He says, where were you? 
Why did you do that? In our human deviation from God's plan, He sends His Holy Spirit. We see all throughout the Old Testament sending Himself again to come on certain people at certain times for ministry, for leadership. So God sends Himself. God introduces Himself to Abraham and tells Abraham that through you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So God sending Himself also finds people so that He can send Himself and send His message through people. Eventually we come up and God sends His Son. Again, God sending Himself. So the Father is initiating with Abraham. Jesus, the Word made flesh. Not a book becoming flesh, mind you, but the eternal Word of God, only begotten of God, co-eternal with God from the beginning, becomes flesh. And He is sent into the midst of Israel. And then, we've read about it already, but the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. Why do they do this? What's with the Missio Dei? Why won't God leave us alone? Why does He insist on engaging us in our time, in our space? Why does He insist on having relationship with us, on having fellowship with us? Well, it's part of His plan to renew the earth and creation. It's part of His plan to redeem the world to Himself. It's part of His plan for there to be a new heavens and a new earth. So God sends Himself. Then we hear Jesus sending the apostles. Apostles is a Greek word, apostolos, for, you guessed it, a sent one. Somebody to be sent. And the apostles as leaders, they go out and the church is born. Now hear me. God has a church because He has a mission. Not the other way around. Does that make sense? So because He has a mission to renew and redeem the world, that the knowledge of His goodness and glory would cover the earth, would cover East Dallas and the surrounding regions as the waters cover the sea. He has a church because He has a mission. Not the other way around. We don't exist for our own sake, but we are the bride of Christ existing to embody that renewal and that redemption. Existing so that with maybe what we preach in our lives, maybe the subtle, loving actions of our lives, maybe the specific words that we say to a broken and a burned out people can bring people into relationship with Jesus. But again... God has a church because He has a mission. So He sends His apostles. He sends His church. And He sends us. As a 19-year-old, I was hired by the church that I uh, grew up in, I guess, in high school. And they, had, they were cutting edge in the Texas panhandle In the 90s. And they needed some young guy 
to lead their new contemporary worship service. Contemporary. Which means a very specific thing. So I was hired and I did that for two years as a 19 and 20 year old. But there was something I realized early on that there's something about me that I like, I like getting out and I like doing new stuff and I had the itch. And it's not like I was some mastermind pioneer guy, but I was like, hey, you know, this is such a big church and everything's going so great. So why don't I just leave? <laughs> so these are my stories of being sent, by the way, just the fill in the blank. <clears throat> So God kind of sent me, and Amy and I were engaged at the time. He sent us out into this little church plan because I thought, you know what? We can read, we could connect with more people. We could reach more people with this church plan. And then later on, I found myself back, back in the Baptist church at uh, First Baptist Church in Dalhart, Texas. Wonderful place, wonderful people, formative years of our life. Three of our children were born while we lived there. And I get this itch about halfway through, and I'm like, I don't think I'm a Baptist anymore. I mean, I could do, I've, I've described it where I could do the Baptist customs and I could speak the language and wear the clothes, but I just didn't really feel like in the depth of my being I, I was a Baptist and I had come across these guys in the Anglican mission and they, I love that their name had mission in it because they wanted to do mission. They wanted to, I was like, well, that sounds cool. And I prayed for two years every day, Lord. And forgive me, I know many of you heard this story, but Lord, please deliver us. Because my wife wasn't even sure what Anglican was, much less what I was talking about, which is still, I mean, I don't even know how you guys know what I'm talking about half the time. Because <laughs> there are just so many words and there's so many streams of consciousness to follow. And, but there's a big long aisle that I'll stay on. And so I would just pray, Lord, please deliver us into a liturgical, sacramental, missional church. I, didn't, I wasn't praying for more of the Holy Spirit at that point. And God kind of hoodwinked me because when I got there and the pastor prayed, John Schuler, who prayed this you know, sweet little dignified prayer of about two lines, I just felt my spirit leap. And I felt like we were back at the non-denominational church that we went to on Saturday nights in Amarillo, Trinity Fellowship. Plug for Steve Myers, Chris's father. So God sent us from Dalhart, Texas, all the way to Fleming Island, Florida. And then when we get there, my whole world turns upside down. My wife says, promise me you'll never be a priest. Sorry, I didn't ask permission to say that thing. She says, promise me you'll never be a priest. And I was like, well, we're moving to Florida. Because I was a worship leader at the time. We're moving to Florida. I, I mean, I, I could never have predicted this. And about six months later, I just, I have a vision. I'm shaving. It's the day after Ash Wednesday. Come to Ash Wednesday. And I devoted that Lent, not necessarily to giving stuff up, but to listening. Because I had plenty to say, but I knew God had more important things to say. And it's dangerous. And that morning, shaving, I just saw it in front of me that I was going to go from being a musician. My life was slowly going to transition to being a priest. And God sent us. And next thing we knew, we're flying back to Dallas to talk about this church plant thing. And, and as soon as we get here, we move to Lake Highlands. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> God was sending us again. 
We came to help plant All Saints Dallas. I was the worship leader. I was the associate pastor. I was an administrative genius. Man, golly. Have you ever seen a plane crash? That's one way to describe my administrative genius. <laughs> and we, we knew that East Dallas was the field to which God would send us. And we were sent. And All Saints Dallas, October 25th, 2015, about 35, 40 of us were there as a core team. Chris and I and our wives got up there and Archbishop Emmanuel Kalini and Bishop Philip Jones prayed for us and they said, we're commissioning you guys to go plant a church in East Dallas. We were sent. Friends, whether you realize it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, you have been sent. We live in a state of being sent because our God is one who loves deeply, who loves passionately, and He sends Himself to people. Yes, He sends Himself in dreams and in visions. Many of our friends in the Middle East and in Asia had these dreams and visions and they realized that Jesus is Lord but He sends Himself through you and through me, the body of Christ, the people of God. And as we have organized ourselves now for about two years as a worshiping community, and as we're transitioning into this wonderfully exciting new season of being our own church, of being... St. Bartholomew's Anglican Church, we're beginning to understand what that looks like to be sent. Just worshiping God is an act of mission. Just getting up here and saying at the very beginning of the service, blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and blessed be His kingdom now and forever. That's an act of mission. We are setting apart space as sacred. We're saying this is a place of the kingdom of God. Not a place of a kingdom of man or woman, but a place of the kingdom of God. And we're sanctifying it. And we're asking God to bless it. And we're asking God to fill us. Not for our own delight and our satisfaction, yet ironically, when we do God's work, when we do God's will, there is a deep delight. There is a deep, redeeming satisfaction. But we ask God to fill us with His Holy Spirit, submit Him to one another out of reverence for Christ, singing and teaching one another, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. but we ask to be filled with the Spirit of God that we can embody God's self so that we can be the church. The church are the people of God. And if they're the bride of our Lord Jesus Christ, and if Jesus said, you know what, church? Greater things will you do than I did. So just buckle up and hang on. If we're to be that kind of people, 
We are to live lives that are sent. So the first way that we do that, think of it as the sort of the, the top, widest, broadest layer, the way that we do mission is worship. Friends, we are surrounded by spiritual forces in the heavenly places that we cannot see. And every Sunday night, and every day that I come in here in the morning or in the afternoon and I walk around this place and I pray, when those bells ring, these are signs and symbols of the advancing of the kingdom of God. It's hard to believe because you can't monetize it. You can't make it into some cool thing. It just is the gospel. But it's that same word that St. Bartholomew, a man of Galilee, a friend of Jesus, was so compelled as he was filled with the Holy Spirit to go east to share. So we do mission as we worship together. We do mission in pastorates. Pastorates are our, are our presence in the city. Our mid-sized groups that meet every other week in the fall, winter, and the spring. That's a place where we are known by one another and where we can know each other, where we can know God. But more importantly, it's a a place where we're out of these four walls and we're into the neighborhoods. I think God will use pastorates. I pray God will use pastorates from neighborhood to neighborhood, just like in the book of Acts, they went from house to house. Pastorates will go from neighborhood to neighborhood of people who are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching breaking of bread and the prayers where we do life, the life of God in our neighborhoods. And who can come to a pastorate? Well, daggone it, anybody can come to a pastorate. That's why they're not supposed to be eight to ten people, which is much too small to invite a friend or a neighbor to, but about 20 people or so. They're They're supposed to be winsome and exciting, and from what I hear, they are. So, good job. So worship, pastorates, think of this as a little narrower thing now. I'm giving you a loose plan here. Oh my gosh, I've got to wind up here. Again, I'm staying up high. I'm not trying to get down in the weeds. I'm giving you a loose plan because I'm such a perfectionist that if I don't follow the plan I lay out there, I'll probably cry. I'll have to go to counseling four or five times in a row. It's just messy. Worship, pastorates, and then there's, there's a space called Alpha, which is a safe place where people can ask the most important questions of life. It's a space of hospitality that takes a lot of work, a lot of prayer, a lot of time, a lot of money to put together. But it's a space where then, after God has established us as a worshiping community, after we've continued to grow in our pastorates, then as we have the bandwidth, the resources, the time, and the leadership, because all of this takes what? Leadership. Mission takes calling for people to hear the call of the Lord and say, you know what, I, gosh, I feel, I feel like God's sending me to be, just be in a pastorate or to serve in a pastor. I feel like God's calling me to serve in Alpha. We haven't started Alpha yet, and we won't until we have the right size. Probably between 200 and 250 people 
but where we can pull it off in a sustainable way. I don't want dead soldiers lying all across the battlefield. This is a place that's going to be around long after we're dead and gone, friends. Remember, we're, we're like sons of that farmer, cultivating, breaking up the fallow ground, planting the seed. But Alpha is that safe place where people can come in and hear the Word of God, hear what it is to be a Christian. They can totally disagree. But we just want them to cultivate relationships with the people of God. And out of Alpha, remember you're following this little funnel thing? Are you following it? Worship, pastor, it's Alpha. But then from Alpha, somebody who's brand new to the church, well, it would be great for them to go to a pastorate, to get connected with people that they met on Alpha, to develop those relationships. And then eventually, you see the bottom one? Can you guess what it is? The bottom, it's like a chiasm. The bottom one is worship. Somebody who comes in from, from the community, who doesn't have any experience with church, or rather who's disconnected from God and His people, can come into our midst by those means through Alpha pastorates back into worship. And as we grow as a worshiping community, we're going to send out people. We're going to send out leaders. yes. I mean, I, I see some of you. Some of you are training to be missionaries overseas. And it's going to be an honor to, to pray for you and commission you and send you out. And we rejoice in that. But there are others of you who don't even know that you're called to do something or go somewhere. And it's, we're, I'm going to cry and we're going to be sad, but we'll send you out. We're going to send out leaders just as we've been sent. We are going to send out church planters. We're part of the Anglican mission. We exist to create new communities because that's the best way to, to introduce people to Jesus in a living way. We're going to send out church planters. And we're going to send out church plans. We're going to invest time and money. Now that's in addition to all the things that we're already doing on the ground. Things I don't even know about. Things I do know about. But friends, I, just, I want you to hear that by taking on the name St. Bartholomew, we're not just going to be in the corner with the ivy growing up our beautiful building and we're very pious and we do all the things right. It's going to cost us. It's going to be difficult. Hmm. But that's who we are. And that's who the church is. We are sent ones. As St. Bart's, we will step into the Missio Dei. We already are. We'll partner with God in His renewal and redemption of the world. And we, as a community, will ply our collective hand to the work of the gospel just like St. Bartholomew did, plowing and planting and cultivating a people who are learning what it is to live in the freedom of the children of God. People who look to Jesus and see, wow, <clears throat> that is true and full and good humanity. It is good to be human. We will be people who love 
what St. Bartholomew believed and who preach what he taught. And we'll realize that, yes, there may have been a part of our lives where we were largely overlooked or forgotten, but God wants us and he wants us to be with him. And we live and we dwell in that delight and we'll be people who are sent out. And we'll see that pattern over and over and over again. So that's the invitation to us is church, St. Bartholomew's. Will you be my people? Will you be sent for me, for my name? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us more than words can express. You've gone to such great lengths to draw us to yourself, to communicate your love to us and for us. We pray now, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit that we could respond to your word in spirit and in truth. We love you and we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.